know, I was reading this week about a very interesting story. Um, there's, there's actually two stories in, in this article. And uh, it was about this couple, and their names were Larry and Chrissy. And uh, they were driving they were way up north, not anywhere near here, way up north where it gets really, really cold. Um, they were driving in their truck, and they're pulling a trailer with a four-wheeler on it. And they were driving uh, down this road, and they came to a lake that was frozen. And uh, Larry, the guy, uh, was, had grown up in the area, so he knew it very well. There were tracks of other vehicles that had gone across the lake, but he knew you can't always trust that. Uh, and so he backed out his four-wheeler, and they were going to ride the four-wheeler across the lake to get to the, the place they were going, uh, family's house or something. They were going to have dinner uh, just because the four-wheeler is a lot lighter than his truck. And so they get on the four-wheeler, and he's just checking, you know, looking at the lake. It's got some snow on top, and he knows it's frozen, but he's just going to try this. And so they start going real slow on the four-wheeler across the lake. And as they're going, he's constantly looking around, watching, listening as best he can with the four-wheeler engine going. And then he starts to hear something coming, this crack, cracking sound. And he immediately... Uh, tries to shut the engine down as quick as he can, but it happens faster than his muscles can move. And he tries to shut the engine down, but it doesn't go. And uh, the four-wheeler drops from underneath him because the ice cracked. And the four-wheeler just sinks to the bottom of the lake. And they're pitched forward into the hole. And both Larry and Chrissy, she was riding behind him on the four-wheeler, fall into the hole in this frozen lake. And, uh, you know, if you've ever jumped in a hole in a frozen lake, it's really, really cold. And so they're tr they get swim to the edge of the little hole, and they're trying to get out. But because, you know, it's ice and there's snow, their fingers very quickly get numb, and they, they can't reach. There's nothing to grip. You know, it's all slippery, and they're shivering. And a realization comes to Larry in the moment that this is the end. And he kind of swims over as best he can to Chrissy, and he kisses her, tells her he loves her, and he's resigned himself in his mind to the fact and it's over, and he gives up. Well, some years before this, there's a story of a guy who did not give up. His name was Tim. This is, this is important for something that's going on with Larry and Chrissy in a moment. We'll get there. Um, but Tim, this was in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s. Uh, Tim had just gotten married, and he and his wife uh, had saved up their money, and they were blowing all their money on a honeymoon, and they went to Europe. Uh, and while they were there, they had gotten this car that broke down a lot and Tim was getting frustrated at the car because it was breaking down and he kept having to switch tools to fix the engine so they could just get down the road and he had this thought that man you know, he was using a knife and he was using pliers and he was using a screwdriver it'd be nice if there was a tool that had all of these built into it now you've all heard of a multi-tool before you know I, uh, I've got one this is not a very, this is a, a Walmart special. <laughs> I've had this for a very long time. But, you know, it's got pliers, and it's got, you know, it's got a knife in there, saw, screwdriver, scissors, the whole deal on both sides. Well, at this time, uh, Tim, nobody had invented this yet because this was just an idea in the back of Tim's mind. And so he gets home from his honeymoon, and he sets out to try to work up a prototype of this. This is a great idea. If we could have all the tools in one deal, that would be fantastic. And so he works on it and works on it. He thought it would just take him a month. It ends up taking him two years, and he files for a patent at the end of two years, and he gets his patent. And you would think, okay, he's got his patent. That's the end of the story. 
Well, he tries to pitch this idea, and nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted it. For the knife companies, it was too much of a tool. For the tool companies, it was too much of a knife. He got 500 rejection letters. I mean, all the big-name companies rejected him and said, that's just ridiculous. Nobody wants that. If they want pliers, they want pliers. If they want a knife, they want a knife. They don't want it all in one thing. That's just dumb. And Tim took all of this. And so this went on for eight years. Tim's applying or sending out prototypes, meeting with people, and he gets all these 500 rejections. I mean, I would get frustrated after about two rejections. But he gets 500, and he about to give up and he gets a letter from a small little company just starting called Cabela's that said hey we'll order 500 of those little tools that you have he's all right and so he starts putting those out and and he builds a business off of this and his last name is Leatherman and if you know much about knives or tools his name is Tim Leatherman the Leatherman multi-tool uh, I see some of the guys not yes yes Tim Leatherman um, he invented the multi-tool and uh, it's a lot more resilient than this, this one is. Uh, I'm afraid if I use this, uh, it's too difficult. It would break in half. But uh, back to Larry and Chrissy in the ice giving up about the die, Larry remembered he had a Leatherman on his belt. He pulled it out and turned it over with the pliers, and he stabbed it in the ice. And he was able to pull himself out, whirl around, and pull his wife out of the hole in the ice. And if... Tim Leatherman had given up, then that couple would have drowned in the ice. If he had not taken this idea, this special idea that he had, and continued to persevere and use it, even though he just saw rejection after rejection after rejection, he saw no progress, he saw no success, if he had just given up, the impact he would have had, he never would have known what could have happened if he had just give it up, given up. Up. And you see, for us, when we have something special within us, we must use it because we never know the kind of impact we're going to have even on people we've never met. Even on people we may never meet until we get to heaven. If God's given you something special, a gift, we talked last week how you can, you can discover the gift that God has placed within you. And if you don't know how to get know what your spiritual gifts are, those, we had uh, two surveys that were online. You can go and get those right now. They're, I think they're still on our website under this message. Uh, but if not, they're also on the one from last week. There's a digital one you can take digitally. There's one you can print out and take. Uh, we had some back there, but I think the last one was taken like either, the, it was there Friday when I left for work. They were still left from work. There were still some back there, but they're gone now. Uh, but if you want one, you can go and get them, take them, discover what your spiritual gifts might be. That those surveys will point you in the right direction. And God wants you to use your spiritual gift because you don't know the impact it's going to have. Just like Tim Leatherman didn't know the impact he was going to have but just because some crazy idea he had about pliers and a knife being in one utensil. God may be putting something special in you in that gift that you don't know the impact you're going to have down the road. You may have no idea the amount of people you're going, the lives you're going to change. It may not even be in this generation, but maybe you change the life of somebody else who ends up changing the lives of dozens and dozens and dozens, thousands of people. For instance, there was a shoe salesman in the late 1800s who taught a Sunday school class. Some little kid came in to get shoes, and he sold this little kid and his mom shoes for the kid. He shared the gospel as a shoe salesman, shared the gospel. Some of us today might, in your job, be afraid to share the gospel because you might lose your job. 
but who gave you the skills to have the job in the first place? But look at what happens. This guy shares the gospel with this kid. Kid gets saved. Kid grows up and becomes an evangelist and shares the gospel with hundreds of thousands of people. Somebody in one of his crowds gets saved. He also becomes a traveling preacher who shares the gospel. And hundreds, if not thousands, get saved. And in one of that guy's meetings where he's sharing the gospel, a little kid gets saved. And he goes on to become a man some of you may be familiar with, Billy Graham. And it started from generations before a shoe salesman sharing the gospel with a little kid. You may never know the impact you're going to have. No one can debate the, the impact Billy Graham had. He changed the lives of millions of people got saved as a result of his willingness to follow Jesus. But it all started because of one dude sharing the gospel with somebody because his gift was evangelism, never knowing that ultimately somebody else who had that spiritual gift was going to change the shape of the world. God's put something in you to change the world, and that's your spiritual gifts. How are you going to use them? Well, today we're going we're gonna to look. Last week we saw how to discover our spiritual gifts. And again, if you need help in that, you can contact me or Micah, or you can go on our website and get those spiritual gift surveys. Um, but today we're going to talk about how to develop our spiritual gifts. If we know what they are, if we discovered what they are, how can we develop them? How can we grow in them, which is vitally important? We're going to be in two passages of Scripture today. The first one is Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. If you're using a Bible in the rack there in front of you, it's on page 878. Um, all the notes are also going to be on the screen. If you're watching online, they'll be right below me. Uh, they'll pop up there for you. Luke chapter 19. You know, Jesus had, if you've ever, I encourage you to read the Gospels straight through. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, because it's interesting to watch Jesus' interaction with people. He had phenomenal patience with people. I mean, they would come and they would ask questions. Some people with, alt, with um, you know, poor motivations and, and agendas to try to get at him. And he would have incredible patience still trying to point some of those people to the truth in the process. Uh, sometimes he, he would... Uh, explain the truth in uh, what we might call hostile terms, but it was really, it was said in a way that the people hearing had to have it said so they could hear what he was saying. If he said it in any other way, they wouldn't have heard it. Uh, but Jesus, uh, as he's walking about doing his ministry, experiencing what he's experiencing, um, he's on his way at this point when we encounter him in Luke chapter 19. He's on his way into Jerusalem to be crucified to die and raise from the dead. And he gives us this little teaching about gifts. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse uh, 12, he gives us a parable. He said, A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, which was a kind of money. And he said to them, Engage in business until I come. So Jesus gives his parable. He says it's a nobleman. He's going to go to a far country. He's going to receive a kingdom. He's going to come back. Um, and then he calls ten of his servants in, and he gives each of them a mina, which was a, a kind of money. It was worth about you know three or four months' worth of work. So, I mean, it, it's a big amount of money. It's not exorbitant, but it, it's fairly significant. And he gives them this money, and look at what he tells them, this, this instruction. Engage in business 
until I come. That means do business. Do something productive with what you have been given. So he gives them an instruction. I'm giving you this thing, this gift, to do something with. Because the implication is, because I'm coming back and I expect something in return. I'm giving this to you to, for you. I'm investing this in you so you can invest it and produce something as a result. So he tells them this right up front. Engage in business till I come. Do something with it till I come. Do something productive with what you've been given. Uh, look at verse, jump down to verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So he comes back. He's the king now. As the king, he tells those ten servants, come to me. He summons them. Come to me so I can find out what you did with the gift I gave you. The first comes in, verse 16, said, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. So this guy with one mina, four months worth of work, comes in and he's got ten more. Forty months worth the one. I mean, he says, I've, so he's got really 11 because he had the one and it produced 10 more. He said, it, it's done this great thing. Now, I want to point something out incredibly significant in this verse. Um, that in years past, I mean, uh, more recently when I've taught this, it, it came to my attention. But in years past, I never noticed. Uh, this guy, this first servant, pro I mean, we don't know what he did. But whatever he did, however he invested this mina, uh, he had to be pretty prudent. I mean, he had to be, you know, pretty clever, whatever he did. But he puts no weight on his own ability, his own financial smarts. You notice he says, your mina made ten minas more. He gives all the result and the credit to the king. He doesn't keep any credit for himself. He says, your mina did it. The gift you gave did it. It wasn't me. It wasn't however I planned and figured it out. He says, your mina that you gave to me, your gift to me, produced this phenomenal thing. But look at what the king does. Verse 17. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall receive authority over ten cities. Now, the servants had not been told on the front end that this was a test that they would get rewarded for. They weren't told that. The king didn't say, hey, you engage in business, and if you do good, I'm going to give you something good. He didn't tell them that. But they did, and look at how he rewards them in, I mean, just over-the-top, excessive, ten cities. He just doesn't give him financial reward. He gives them authority. I mean, this is huge. I mean, he basically gives them a little kingdom. Right? A lot of the kings back in the day were, were kings over one city or maybe kings over a region. And he gives this servant that kind of authority. He says, you were faithful in what I gave you and you produced something incredible. I'm going to give you an excessive blessing that's going to blow your mind. He had no idea he's going to receive authority over ten cities. So what we see right off the bat about this king is this king is incredibly generous. He, he doles out ten cities to this servant. Well done, good servant. I'm going to give you ten cities. And that's, that's the truth we can know about the Lord, is that faithful investment receives excessive blessing. Faithful investment receives excessive blessing. If we're faithful in what he's given us and how we invest it, there will be excessive blessing. But how the blessing takes its form is up to God. 
We may be anticipating a, a certain kind of blessing when it comes to God, but the blessing is completely dependent on how He wants to bless. Oftentimes, He has blessed us excessively and we don't see it for what it is. Sometimes we see the blessing that He's given us as a frustration, as a problem. Maybe it's your kids. <laughs> One of you laughed. The blessing He's given you may be excessive, but it may at times cause irritation to you. Maybe the blessing doesn't have to be financial. Maybe it's the job you have, and you spend you know, 50%, 75% of your time complaining about your job. And maybe it's an excessive blessing He gave you as an opportunity. Maybe the excessive blessing is the family he gave you, and you think, man, my family is nothing but trouble. My family is nothing but problems. They are failures. If, if you looked up failure in dictionary.com, it, it's got my family's name under the 10th definition. It, but maybe he gave you an excessive blessing in your family for a specific purpose, and all that needs to be changed is your perspective of who they are. Maybe you've labeled them under a stereotype because of how you knew them when they grew up. I mean, Jesus' own people that he knew when he grew up, when he goes back to Nazareth where he grew up, all they see in him is some kid, not the Savior of the world. And as a result, it says, because of their lack of faith, he could not do many miracles there. Their lack of faith prevented the Son of God from doing miracles because they limited their perspective. Maybe God's given you an excessive blessing and you just don't know what it is yet. It may be there already, and we just need to change how we see it. You know, when, when Jesus fed the 5,000, the excessive blessing was in the little kid's food, was in the meal. They didn't see that as a blessing. They saw that as a limitation on what God would be able to do, but what Jesus was going to do was as a result of what they already had. They didn't go to first century Burger King and Chick-fil-A to get it so he could reproduce it. They he took what they already had and made an excessive blessing. So maybe the blessing he's going to give is already present and you're just not aware of it at the moment. Maybe you're a teenager and your excessive blessing is school. Some of you looked at me like I just cussed. Like, <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it is. And you just don't see it. Because it's hard and it's frustrating and it's some of it's busy work, but maybe it's the, the, the struggle to get through it and the education will produce something in you down the road that you're not aware of yet. Maybe the results of what you're struggling with this week will be produced in 30 years, but you don't know yet. Faithful investment receives excessive blessing. Verse 18, next servant comes. And he says, Lord, your mina has made five Minas. Again, he points the credit to the king. Your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are over five cities. Another excessive blessing. And to another, another servant comes. And what we're seeing here is they come. It's not like all ten servants are lined up and they're hearing, oh, hey, this guy produced ten minas. He got ten cities. This guy's thinking, all right, well, I got five. I'm about to get five cities. But you notice they didn't come until after the servant before them has received what they received. So they're not aware, it's a parable, but they're not aware of what the previous servant had. So first servant gets 10 cities, second servant gets five cities, next servant comes in, verse 20. And he says, Lord, here's your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow, which... I, you know, I've taught on this before, and, and if you look at this servant's description of the king, it is nothing in line with what we know about the king, in his kindness, in his generosity, 
in his excessive blessing. But this servant has believed something that's not true about the king. And as a result, his believing a lie about the king is going to limit his potential and his life and ultimately his blessing. Verse 22, the king responds to the servant, I'm going to condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. If you knew I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow, why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. So even if the servant had done the, what the least possible he could do, put it in the bank, he would have had something to show the king. But because he chose to not use the gift, he had nothing to offer the king. He had nothing to offer the king. He thought he was keeping what the king had given him safe and secure. But the king says, that's not why I gave it to you. Wasn't the instruction, engage in business, do something productive with what I gave you? Use it. Use it. But because he doesn't use it, something's going to happen. Verse 24. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he's, he, he has ten. Why, why give it to the guy with ten? He's already got ten. He doesn't need any more. And honestly, if you think about it, if he uh, has authority over ten cities, what does one mina matter to him? I mean, it's, it's nothing. Verse 26, he says, Jesus, the king, in the parable, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Even what he has will be taken away. Now, I want to point something out about that third servant that one of the commentators that I read, this is what he said. He said, this servant, he was not at all concerned about the king's return. So why would he bother with the king's business? It never crossed his mind. He didn't spend very much time at all thinking about the return of the king. And so as a result, he did not engage in the king's business day to day. He did not spend any mental energy investing in what the king had given him because he never allowed the, the, the reality of the king's return to play any role in his life on a daily basis. And so... As a result, he's called a wicked servant, and what he has is taken away and given to somebody else, because the issue really is not that the servant with ten minas would get one more. What the king's doing is, by giving the one mina to the guy with ten, is he really wants it to simply be used. He wants the gift to be used, and so he's going to take it and give it to somebody who's going to use it. He's going to take it and give it to somebody who's going to use it. He doesn't want to leave the gift in the hands of somebody who's not going to use it. And so he's going to take the gift away from that guy and give it to the other guy because he knows the other guy is going to use what he's been given. Use it or lose it. You see, spiritual gifts are given to be used. They're meant to be used. They're meant to be invested. They're meant to be practiced in order to grow in strength and to grow in progress. You know, we can use our spiritual gifts all the time whenever we have opportunity, not just within the four walls of the church building. That's not the purpose of spiritual gifts. They're supposed to be used everywhere, in your home, at work, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family. Spiritual gifts are meant to be invested everywhere, meant to be used everywhere in, in, in practiced everywhere 
everywhere. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect in how you use your spiritual gifts every time. You're not. But as long as we make progress, we get better and we get stronger and, and we further our purpose with Jesus. We're supposed to practice our spiritual gifts at every opportunity so we do continue to progress. Practicing for progression, not perfection. Making progress in what he has for us. Uh, moving down the line. Building momentum as we use our spiritual gifts a little bit today and a little bit tomorrow and a little bit the day after so that we can get stronger and we do make progress. Flip over to First uh, Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4. Paul expounds on this idea from Jesus of using our spiritual gifts, using what we have been given in great purpose, not simply um, using our spiritual gifts as, a, as a, you know, uh, an afterthought, not um, leaning on our spiritual gifts like a crutch. You know, sometimes we may not spend me much mental energy on how to use our spiritual gift or how to practice our spiritual gift or how to uh, implement our spiritual gift because we just may think, hey, I'm gifted in that area. I don't need to spend a lot of time on it. You know, I can just throw something together at the very last second because I'm gifted there and, and that will be good enough for whatever God's got before me. But the thing is, God never meant us to be good enough. God meant us to excel. God meant, us, meant for us to be exceptional in wherever he's placed us and to get better in that spiritual gift usage, we must be practicing at every opportunity. We need to use our gift so we can uh, uh, get better in that area, grow in that area, develop in that area. He wants us to practice what we have been given. And Paul takes this concept that Jesus just talked about, we saw in Luke 19, with the, the parable there with the minas, and he takes it and he builds on it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 6. Paul writes, If you put these things before the brothers, that's the teachings, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, this is just set up for what he's about to say, but I want you to notice one particular word in that verse. Trained. If you put these things, if you put these teachings, put these instructions before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, that word trained that he uses in that verse, um, being trained in Scripture, being trained in faith, uh, it literally means being instructed in, being taught in scripture, being taught in faith, being instructed in scripture, being instructed in faith. But being instructed requires an investment of time. You know, and it, it requires investing time to be instructed so you can study, so you can get better. So he uses that word here in verse 6, but he's going to say trained again in verse 7, but he uses a completely different word for it. Okay? Verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, Train yourself for godliness. We're going to come back to that word train there. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while the bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So the word train, back in verse 6, means to be instructed in. It. So it's a passive kind of thing. Somebody's instructing you, so you're studying. Somebody's teaching you, so you're receiving but here in verse 7, it's different. It's active. Train yourself. This means to engage in vigorous, controlled training that leads to greatly increased strength. 
All right? Let me read that definition for you again. Engage in vigorous, controlled training leading to greatly increased strength. So vigorous controlled training, where is the, the training in verse 6? Being instructed in, being taught in Scripture and in faith. And now in verse 7, he says, train yourself. Engage in vigorous controlled training so you can grow incredibly stronger. But he said, <laughs> train yourself is what he says in verse 7. Train yourself. Train yourself. Have you ever heard somebody say, uh, maybe they, they leave a church or maybe they give an excuse for not going to church at all. Maybe they say, I'm not being fed. Don't raise your hand. I'm not being fed. Well, the author of Hebrews writes, Paul writes, and what we see here is, you got to train yourself. I mean, if you've got a 30-year-old living in your basement who doesn't know how to pick up a spoon and feed themselves, then you've got a problem. If you've been a believer for 30 years and you don't know how to feed yourself, then there's a spiritual issue. It's not what's resonating from the pulpit. It's what's resonating in your home. That's that went in my notes. That's, the Holy Spirit took me down that road. <laughs> um, the issue is there. I mean, I've got five kids. Some of you may be in here. i got five kids. i got five. And all of them, even the two, he turned two yesterday. He can feed himself. Not every, He needs somebody to cut up his stuff so he can stick it with a fork. But if my 12-year-old can't feed himself, but my 2-year-old can, then I've got a problem that I need to rectify very, very quickly because there's an issue there. We need to grow. We need to be able to feed ourselves. Or as Paul writes in verse 7, train ourselves for godliness. Now, that's an interesting word. Because I don't know what you picture when you picture godliness. Uh, but that word carries a lot of, let's say, baggage <laughs> for some people. Some people picture the most godly person that they've ever known. Or, 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 or maybe it's what you, you know, the appearance of what you see in somebody else's godliness, even though you didn't know some of their backstory and what's going on behind the scenes. But this word, what this literally means is it's belief system and the action that goes with it. It's what you believe and the action that accompanies the belief. It's an expected accompanying action. So in this context, it would be the godliness that you're training yourself for is the Christian life as Jesus intended it. A system of beliefs and, and a lifestyle that goes with it. It's not just saying one thing and doing something else. It's not just doing something without believing it. It's got to have both in, 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 in the process. So you train yourself in godliness, to believe and to live according to Jesus' uh, outline, according to Jesus' teaching, which is Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Um, to teach, when you make disciples, you teach them to obey all that I have commanded them. Well, we, we need to be teaching others, but if we're not teaching ourselves, where are we in the process? Those who can't do teach, that's not an excuse here when it comes to this. That's not an excuse in real life anyway. But that's not an excuse spiritually either. And so we take verses 6 7 and 8, what is Paul saying? If you break it down, he says, be instructed in Scripture and in faith, but intentionally train yourselves in Scripture and faith. Intentionally train yourselves how to live out what he says here. 
And so when it comes to our spiritual gifts, we need to be developing them, putting them into practice, growing them, training ourselves in the use of those spiritual gifts so that we can be used to the fullest of our extent, so we can be used to, to fulfill the purpose that we were created for. You were created for a purpose, and you were created for a purpose, and you were created for a purpose, and you were created for a purpose that I was not created for. And so you got to fulfill your purpose in using your gifts to fulfill that purpose in Jesus where you are now. Fulfilling that, training yourself, developing your spiritual gifts, as he says here, through instruction, through usage. So we develop our gifts through study and through practice, practicing them, using them, not just occasionally, not just randomly, but using them on purpose. And as we use them, we get better. I was working with my boys the other day and practicing the piano, and I was observing one of them uh, as he was practicing. We got frustrated as he went through the song the first time in practice. I mean, just, I said, well, why don't you break it down? Let's do the right hand, do the left hand. I'll play them together. And we went through it about four times. And the fourth time was demonstratively better than the first time. Because just going through it four times, he got better from time one to time four. And so if you need to practice your spiritual gifts, you're going to be better on the fourth time than you are the first time. It's just the nature of it. The more you use it, the better you get. The stronger you get. The more you use your spiritual gift, you will get better. That doesn't mean use your spiritual gift at your workplace and then you kind of turn off the part of your brain or your heart when you get home. Use it in your family. When Jesus said make disciples, the first disciples you need to make are the ones in your home. And then you build on that. I mean, for me, I mean, Jesus had 12 disciples. I've already got six in my house with my wife and my kids. And uh, we, we continue to go with that. But you, you, you develop the spiritual gifts God's placed in you by practicing them, by using them, and not just sending them out there on occasion randomly. You think about it. It's putting intention behind it. That's why Paul says there, train yourself for godliness. Engage in vigorous, controlled training. If your training is sporadic and not intentional, let's just say if your, work, if, if your workout regimen, if your exercise program is random and, and not intentional, it's not going to make any progress. you got to be intentional in what you're doing for progress to be made. The same is true spiritually. If you're not intentional in your progress, if you're not intentional in your practice or in your training, there's not going to be progress. you got to be intentional. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take thinking about it. Sometimes we don't want to think about spiritual stuff unless we're in the room in the church thinking about spiritual stuff. And then we turn it off and we go home and go about our day and we think about it again come Sunday morning when we wake up. And, oh, yeah, church, i got to do that thing. You got to be intentional and on purpose so we can fulfill why he's placed us here, so we can have impact far beyond our reach, so we can develop something that he has placed within us that will save lives spiritually. But it takes regular usage. I mean, it takes regular usage just to keep things in working order when it comes to our spiritual gifts. Does anybody have a generator? Anybody have a generator? Some of you. If you live in my neighborhood, you have to have one because our power goes out if the leaves rustle. I know Patty and Jean and, and Mike and Sheila and Grant, y'all are watching online right now. I mean, can I get an amen in the comment section for my neighborhood, for my neighbors? We lose power about two or three times a month sometimes. It's all the time power goes out in our neighborhood. And there was, I remember, y'all remember the storm about four years ago? Uh, it was a Memorial Day weekend. Um, and a big storm, came. our trampoline got blown across and smashed into crumpled up heap. And I mean, it was terrible. We, we, we didn't have power that week for, I think, four and a half days. 
and everybody else was getting power. I mean, they had trees in their yard and on their house. What is going on? We must have terrible things. But all that it turned out to be, a branch of somebody at the front of our street had fallen on a power line. And a safety thing had pulled it. So all that the, the crew showed up, and they had it fixed in 30 minutes. They pulled the branch off, turned it back on in the deal, and it came on. That was it. Didn't have power for four and a half days because a branch was leaning on the line. And that's all it was. And so we got a generator after that. <laughs> we, we got a generator then. Um, and uh, the thing about a generator is you, you, you desperately need it when your power goes out. But if you don't keep it up, it's not going to work for you. If you leave it in your shed and only use it once every three years, the gas is going to do something to your engine that's not going to be very nice. The oil is just going to sit there and not process. You've got to take that generator out and run it about once a month. Just, I mean, not for a long time. I mean, some of you are having revelation. I need to go take my generator out right now when I get home, and I need to get that deal going. But if you just leave it there, and five years down the line, you desperately need it, it's not going to work because you haven't kept it up, because you haven't let the gas funnel through there. You haven't let the oil funnel through there, and it's not going to work. You're going to turn the switches, you know, hit the knob, you're going to pull the lever, and nothing's going to happen because you didn't keep it up. You, weren't, you didn't keep it running. You didn't keep it in good working order because you didn't use it. And it's the same thing that we saw in Luke chapter 19 that we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We need to use what we have, use what he's given us, not just to keep it in good working order, not just to survive when it comes to this life and this existence, but to thrive in what he's placed us in, to, to excel where he's put us so that our spiritual gifts grow to a level that we never thought we would get to just from practice, practicing them where he has placed us. Maybe your spiritual gift is teaching. Maybe that's one of them. As I said a few weeks ago, it's been my experience that nobody just has one spiritual gift, but they've got several in varying degrees. Maybe that's your spiritual gift, but when you get home, you turn it off, and you don't teach at all at your house. Maybe it's time to practice it a little bit in there in your home. Maybe your spiritual, one of your spiritual gifts is prayer, and you just pray the list, that you, the mental list you have, and don't intentionally invest in the prayer that you have over those you're praying for, or your spouse, or your kids, or your grandkids, or your neighbors, or yourself in sharing the gospel. You, it's, you just go through your list, you put a check, and you feel good to go. But maybe your spiritual gift is prayer, and you, you're about to light it up over the next seven days because you realize you need to start practicing this deal. Maybe your spiritual gift is preaching. If so, send me an email. We need to talk. Like, for real. <laughs> Maybe you need to start preaching in your house in the devotions that you give your children at night. Maybe your spiritual gift is service, and you're not serving those around you in your job. Maybe your spiritual gift is mercy, but when it comes to your job, there is no mercy. It's cutthroat. And you show no mercy because you know the guy who's over you is not going to show you any mercy. But the issue is not that guy. The issue is Jesus. Maybe your spiritual gift is mercy and you're not using it. Maybe your spiritual gift is hospitality. And you use it on occasion when you walk through the halls here at the church, but you're not using it on purpose every single day. Maybe it's time to step it up a notch or kick it up a notch. Emeril Lagasse used to say, bam, let's kick it up a notch. Let's move on. Some of you are getting that reference. Some of you won't. <laughs> Some of you are going to type into Google Emeril Lagasse, but you're going to miss, miss Bell Lagasse and you're going to totally miss it. But uh, he, was, he was a guy at a cooking show. Maybe you need to kick it up a notch in your spiritual giftedness. Maybe your spiritual giftedness um, 
has to do with, with evangelism. Uh, but you still have that fear that we all have welling up within your heart. But you know when you evangelize, something happens and you need to step out and start doing it, practicing what you have been given. So it's not taken away, but not only that, but so that you begin to expand the kingdom that God's put us here to expand. However we've been gifted, however you've been gifted, you need to practice your gift for progress. You need to use your spiritual gift to grow your spiritual gift. Use it to grow it. Use it to develop it. Use it to get stronger. Use it so that we as a unit, as a group, get stronger. If one of us gets stronger, we all get stronger, and we're able to do more than we could do by ourselves. That's why God placed us all here together. You've been planted here for a purpose so that your gift can complement your gifts, can complement your gift, can complement my gift. And as we're all using our gifts together, growing strong together, practicing what he's been giving us together, we will grow strong as a unit and accomplish far more together than we ever could apart. We've got to be using our gifts on purpose with great intention. But that's why today's message doesn't just have an application at the end. It's got a challenge, a challenge for the next seven days. You ready? Some of you need to wake up. Challenge for the next seven days. Here it is. Make a plan of how you can use your gifts in some capacity, just even a, even a little bit. Just in some, maybe you get that telemarketer call and you're gifted in evangelism, you share the, garf, the, the, the gospel with that guy on the phone you're frustrated with because, you know, your service fee went up three cents. Share the gospel, maybe that's it. Maybe in some capacity, make a plan to use your spiritual gift every single day. Just, I mean, you can make a vast, elaborate plan. Maybe that's your spiritual gift. But just make some plan to use your spiritual gift every, once every day over the next seven days. And See if come next Sunday you're not stronger in that gift than you were today. Just try it. Try it. Maybe you need to do it right now. We're going to have an invitation. We're going to invite people to come to Jesus. We're going to invite people to pray. But maybe that's what you need. Jesus is telling you right now. Here's your plan. Write it down right now or you're not going to do it. I had a very wise man tell me one time, if it's not written down, it's not. It does not exist because it will leave your head. And he's exactly right. That's why I carry my little journal everywhere I go. Because if it's not written down, it's not going to happen. So if you ever tell me something on a Sunday and I don't write it down, it's out of my head. Okay? Say, Pastor, I think you need to write that down real quick. Like, oh, yes, you're right. Okay? So maybe that's what you need to do is make a seven-day plan right now of what you're going to do. This afternoon, I'm going to do this. As soon as the Cowboy game's over, I'm going to call that person. And I'm gonna do, And that should be one of our spiritual gifts, watching the Cowboy game. And we need to do this and this. And I'm going to do this on Wednesday and do this on Saturday. Maybe that's what you need to do right now. And instead of standing and singing, that's what you need to do is write those down, those seven things. But over the next seven days, that's the challenge. Just try it and see what happens. What's the worst that can happen? Well, I mean, honestly, if you practice your spiritual gift, what's the worst? I mean, it's not going to kill you, right? It's not going to blow your car up. It's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to be something awful and terrible. You're not going to fall in the ice in the next seven days. Uh, that would be, I mean, maybe the weathermen are way wrong. Maybe we're going to get an ice storm come Thursday. If your spiritual gift is prophecy, meet me down here. Let's talk. But just try it for the next seven days. Whatever your spiritual gift might be, once a day, make a plan to use it just a little bit at a time, and see if come next Sunday you're not stronger than you were today. All right? Maybe you need to find out where your spiritual gift is. We have those things on our website, those surveys. 
They're, you know, they may not tell you specifically what your spiritual gift is, but they'll point you in the right direction, help you understand better. Maybe this is the first one of these spiritual gift messages you're watching. This is part four. Maybe you need to go back this afternoon and you watch those other messages, listen to those other messages on the podcast and say, okay, spiritual gifts, how do I figure this deal out? Those are there for you. Maybe you need to figure out, do I really want to grow in this life? Do I want to be better tomorrow than I am today? Do I want to be better in three years than I am today? Five years than I am today? Do I really want to grow? Do I want to find my purpose in life? Do I want a spiritual gift at all? Maybe what you need to do in the first step of this process is come to Jesus. Maybe you need to return to Jesus. But if you've never been to Jesus, maybe you need to come to him. You said, I've always known about Jesus and Christmas and what Linus said on, on Charlie Brown, but maybe you need to come to Jesus today. Maybe that's your step of first thing you need to do even before you start practicing your spiritual gifts is you need to come to Jesus and believe that he is the son of God, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Maybe you need to believe that today. I mean, from your heart, not your head, your heart. You need to believe that today for the very first time. And if that's you, then just believe. There's not magic words you've got to say. You don't have to put down a fiver to say, okay, here, I'll pay five bucks, I'm in heaven. You don't have to do any of that. You just got to believe. Say, I, I, I believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died for my sins, even the ones I haven't even done yet. And he rose from the dead so I can live after you die. So after I die, then, then you're a Christian. That's it. You're a Christian right then, right there. And we want to know. We want to celebrate with you. If you're in the room, I want you to come and talk to me. I'm going to be right down here kneeling and praying. I'm going to have my, my scripture open. I'm going to be praying some scripture. And if you need to come and know Jesus, I want you to come and talk to me. Tap me on the back of the shoulder. Whack me in the back of the head. Say, I want to know, I, I'm excited, I want, I'm excited, I just came to know Jesus. We want to celebrate with you. Scripture says that the angels in heaven celebrate o over even one who comes to know Jesus. They throw a party over just one who gets saved. If you're watching online, well, I don't know which camera they're on, whichever camera, if you're watching online, you can click the button right below where you're watching that says, I made a decision. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, it's a link. It says, I made a decision, here's the link. Click that link and just say, put your name in there. Here's the decision I made. That sends an email that I get immediately in my email, and I will contact you today or tomorrow. I, it comes to my email, and I will contact you myself because we want to celebrate that decision. We want to <laughs> come alongside you and pray with you about that decision. Come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus and believe. Come to Jesus, know your gift. Come to Jesus, use your gift to grow your gift. And let's see where we all are as a collective group come next Sunday. How much stronger we are in having used our gift, practiced our gift every single 